Dr. Matthew Castro here at Central Church in Kyreville, Tennessee. I'm the adult ministries pastor. You are listening to the Church and Politics Equip class. It meets on Wednesday night at 6.15 p.m. in room 235. You are listening to Lesson 10 on Biblical Femininity. Well, good evening. Uh, everyone knows that you have to turn your clock back an hour this weekend, right? What? What do you mean, no? It's this weekend, right? You said so. I didn't know. Oh, no. oh, oh. I thought there was going to be like a, you know, they were trying to pass a law, and it didn't get through the, I think it didn't get through uh, the house. So, what's up, sir? Everything. That's right. Good morning. Good evening. Good evening. Keep on saying good morning. Good evening. Go for it. Uh, do we need any more chairs? We've got more on the other side. So what do y'all think? Do you think this room is bigger than the room over there? We got a thumb up from Nick. Nick's like, it's definitely bigger. Like, clearly bigger. Me and uh, Tinsley like, basically got to pull out the, the measuring tape measure to figure out. It's a, it's a little bigger. It, yes, instead of the round ones. Round tables don't fit well in rectangled rooms, do they? It's almost a square room. Yeah. It's about 24 by 24. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. That works. Uh, we're going to get started. Um, we're going to talk about biblical femininity tonight. Femininity or biblical feminism or biblical um, all those things, biblical womanhood. Um, we talked about manhood or masculinity last week. Um, are there any uh, prayer requests? We're going to pray and then get started. Any prayer requests? Yes, sir. Uh, we have a person in our class, Glenn Side. Yes. And uh, the last I heard, he's. He was going through surgery today. around 3 o'clock, mm-hmm. doing fine and no blood pressure problems. So I've heard the same. Out, he's out of surgery, and uh, <coughs> everything went well. They were able to get everything. They'll have the pathology report in five to seven days. Thank you for that. Yep, we'll pray for Mr. Glenn and, and, and Ms. Charlotte. Anyone else? Thank you, Okay, let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Dear Lord, we thank you for um, this evening, Lord, and we thank you for everyone here. And Lord, we just uh, pray, Lord, for uh, just a enriching uh, night, Lord, as we get into your word. Um, we talk about biblical womanhood, Lord, uh, pray that you would guide us and direct us, Lord. And um, Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to speak into the culture according to your word. And uh, Lord, we pray that we would uh, uh, be people who... Again, uh, understand that you have created us uh, in your image, Lord, but you have created us by your design and for your glory. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would come to understand that, Lord, and come to live under that authority. We praise you. We love you. And pray to help us, Lord, in this discussion. We pray for Mr. Glenn, Lord, and thank you that his surgery went well today. And Lord, we just pray for Charlotte as she cares for him. And uh, Lord, we just, we love, we love Glenn. We love, we, he's such a, a dear, dear brother and friend to many of us here. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would continue to be with him and pray that he would have a quick recovery, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. 
I wanted I wanted to share hello. Uh, let me let's get, let's get two more chairs. Uh, three more chairs. Three more chairs. I grabbed two, and there's one right here. You got scooped. Scooped. Um, oh, there's there's the guy right. Uh, there's someone sitting next to you. Aha. We need something here, don't we? Well, there is one here. We could. I, and I can literally be pressed up against the back, this wall right here. All right. We should probably do that. Maybe me and Tinsley can cause a little separation and we can get a little more people in here. Um, so I wanted to share, I actually put them on the bottom of your fourth page notes. Some further study, some books. If you're interested in this topic, I've provided a few books. There's The God's Design for Man and Woman by Andres Kossenberger and Margaret Kossenberger. He's actually coming to Central in end of May, beginning of June, right? Um, so the writer of this book, his wife will probably join him as well, will be here to, to lecture, uh, to teach on Sunday morning and Sunday. Oh, it's like a Saturday night or a Sunday night kind of event we're going to be doing. Um, another book, and this is a practical theology for women. Um, this is a, a really good book. And also, this is a, it's a controversial title, but it is actually very good. Women and the Gender of God. And so, uh, if you're interested in any of these books, um, we can, you can order them in the crosswalk. They'll order them for you, or you can do what everyone else does and buy them on Amazon, right? So, so I wanted to show those to you, and put, we did put those on the bottom um, of, your, of your page. Um, so we're going to talk about biblical womanhood, um, and again, a man talking about this is, is what it is. So I will definitely would love uh, participation from our ladies in the room. Um, and please love your contribution um, if you feel led. And um, I do want to provide somewhat of an introduction. I do also want to talk about the history of feminism. I think it'll be helpful for us to understand like where our culture is when it, when it <coughs> defines what a woman is. Um, and I will also go back to this. I mentioned this last week about weirder, uh, that the West, which we are in the West, is... Worldly, educated, industrial, rich, democratic, ex-Christian, and romantic. And these in particular, the democratic and romantic, we, we definitely love our individual rights. And we are very much trained to think, to very be introspective and to think about how I feel um, and my own needs and how that determines in a lot of ways our views and thoughts and beliefs on things. Um, and so... Well, even though the culture is, is, is raging on some of these issues, especially about what sexuality is, what gender is, uh, we talk about transgenderism and homosexuality, it, it, it's actually not as surprising and crazy as you think because of, of this right here. And uh, I want to just remind you of that, and we're going to talk in more detail about this later on, probably in November, uh, a little bit later in November. 
So um, when we talk about homosexuality and, and gender confusion, especially. Um, so let me just mention a few things as we get started. Um, that, um, and some of you women here definitely can kind of amen this. There is a lot of pressure on women in our age today. A lot of pressure. Um, and some of you may feel that pressure, especially with social media and just the kind of view that you just have to be like a super mom, like a super woman, like constantly, that you have to be cute and perfect while also being like, like just super on top of everything, right? Um, and so creative, especially when it comes to your kids or your home. And uh, you just kind of have to, there's like, it seems like you're, you always have to be on top of everything. Um, you always have to feel kind of put together that you're a successful woman, a successful wife and mother. If you work outside the home, there's a lot of pressure on you being just really good at what you do, really good at your job. And so there's just a lot of pressure, right? Um, and some of you definitely probably feel that. And I think we have to like, one of the biggest things we have to remind ourselves um, is that that women and men are created equal. They are worthy in, uh, in the eyes of God. Um, and God has created men and women in his image. Um, they are equal in, in essence that we will talk about the differing roles between men and women. Um, and that women have, have dignity. However, they are also affected by the fall. Uh, women sin just like men sin, right? We are all under the wrath of God because of the fall, because of sin. We are born in the world with sinful natures. Men are born in the world with sinful natures, and so are women. But also, Christ was sent in the world to save men and women. Um, and so it's an important thing we have to kind of remind ourselves and remember. And a lot of times, in, most, of, most, most of the time in Scripture, when it talks about manhood and womanhood, it's in the context of marriage. That really does kind of, in some ways, presents the different roles that men and women have. And so a lot of times it's presented in the context of marriage. So we're going to talk a lot about marriage in relation to biblical womanhood. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about kind of feminism and the history of feminism, okay? Um, does anyone know a lot about this history? Anyone kind of students of women's studies, anything like that? Anyone dabbled? Anyone, I'll, I'll say this, you may not like, we're gonna, anyone kind of have been a feminist, a part of the feminist movement in the past? Nobody? Uh, I say that because I, the first wedding I did, I, uh, it was a couple that was in a church that I was working at, and she was actually, before she was a Christian, was a feminist. Now, she was pretty young, like she was, so I don't know when she was a feminist, like 12 or like 10, like it was, but she had dabbled and she had actually studied and read and she became a feminist and then she was saved in a Christian. But she says like, yeah, I used to be a feminist, but that was, so that was one interaction of someone I didn't expect to be a feminist. And she actually took on kind of, as they would say, the traditional kind of the woman role. Like she didn't go to college. She didn't work outside the home. Her husband worked outside the home and she raised their children. So she was formerly a feminist who never would have done something like that and actually would have been opposed to that type of lifestyle and decisions. And then actually when she became a Christian, embraced that lifestyle, embraced that, those choices. 
Um, so let's talk about, the, so is anyone familiar with the three waves of feminism? Have you heard those terminology before? Okay, so this actually will be very helpful. So let me just write this. You have it on your notes, but I'll just write it up here. There's first wave, second wave, and third wave. Okay? you not see it? It's invisible. It's green. So no one can see green. I understand. Let me do black. Sue, can you see black? Okay. There we go. Okay. And third wave. Okay. So it's not uncommon to consider yourself a first wave feminist. That is actually quite appropriate to say you're a first wave feminist. Meaning when you say you're a first wave feminist, you believe that women should have the right to vote. Anyone in here enjoy their right to vote? Okay, you're therefore you are, a, if you're a woman in here, you're a first wave feminist. And if you're a man in here and you agree that women should vote, you also are a first wave feminist. Meaning you would have supported the movement, okay? You would have supported that movement. Um, so when you think of more militant, secular feminist movement, that gets into second and third wave feminism, okay? So you can actually be a feminist, but be a first wave feminist and be okay. You're perfectly okay. You're orthodox, you're conservative, um, but it's when you get into the second and third wave feminism where you kind of go off off the rails. Uh, So initially, when you think about feminism, it... It's a movement that was concerned with the advancement of women's rights and with the achievement of women's complete parity with men in society, the home, and the church. Okay? Some of those things we should be on board with. Okay? Some of those things we should champion and encourage. Um, It's when some areas, when we start to get into that there is no such thing as, as man or woman, that they're just basically social concepts. And when you say that there is no difference in roles, that's when you kind of remove yourself from Scripture and start to define manhood and womanhood completely outside Scripture. And that's not good, right? That's not good at all. So the third wave basically takes this and like puts it on steroids. And that would be, if you want to look at time period, this is the 90s to the present age. So third wave gets into actually beyond feminism or women's rights and gets into um, any type of like racial justice, environmental justice, uh, sexual justice when you get into like um, even homosexual marriages and couples being able to have access to ad- adoption rights. These, these feminists get into those type of movements. So it goes beyond really women's rights. This is really where the ER, uh, ERA... Amendment. The equal rights, equal rights, which actually came out of the second. Out of the second. Oh yeah, I mean it's still it's still in the law. Yeah, um, and so, and one of the when you get into first wave feminism, you actually and I will get into more details about this, but one of the things that one of the, lead, the, the a lot of the leaders of the first wave feminists they started to while they may be a part of the church and they may believe in God really have problems with scripture and actually start to um, reject what scripture states about womanhood 
and actually see it as one of the problems in society and while and what created the kind of oppressive uh, culture that women were a part of, which which took which gave them no rights to vote, gave them very little rights when it came to equal pay and other issues that you deal with with women's rights. So, um, the one of the major uh, leaders of the first wave feminism, which is 1840 to 1920, uh, is Elizabeth uh, Cade Statton. Um, she, her father was a lawyer. As she began reading her father's law books, she realized that the, the, the U.S. law code was discriminating against women. Um, she was unable to be a lawyer because women were, un, were not admitted to the bar when she, in, the, in, in the late parts of the 19th century. Uh, in 1848, she started the first women's convention in New York and the Seneca Falls Declaration said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal. Susan B. Anthony was a part of this movement. They started the National Women's Suffrage Association, and they were fighting for the women's right to vote. Uh, They were also very much, what kind of helped start the movement was that many of them were a part of the anti-slavery movement. But once after, after the Civil War, and when blacks had, um, when, they, when, when slavery was, was illegal in the United States because of the Emancipation Proclamation and the amendment, they started then to move into uh, fighting for uh, women's rights to vote in particular. Uh, the National Women's Suffrage Association was started in 1890, the National American Women's Suffrage Association. Uh, they actually... Uh, uh, Elizabeth uh, Stanton actually uh, and a few others created a woman's Bible. And really what it was, but it wasn't a translation of the Bible. It was a commentary on the Bible. Um, and again, they saw that the Bible was a major hindrance to women's rights. And so they were actually starting to, uh, in some ways, interpret scripture to, um, to show that the Bible was actually against women. So in like Genesis 126, uh, they argued that the us there, let us make man and woman in our image, implied to that there is feminine and male elements in the Godhead. This is how they, this was the commentary and interpretation they made on this passage to in some ways encourage uh, women and that the society needed to champion women's rights. Uh, They saw Genesis 1 and 2 as contradictory. They saw that in Genesis 1, you see men and women are created. And then in Genesis 2, it expresses that men were created before women. Hence, creating the patriarchal society that put men above women. And they saw that chapter 2 was uh, contradictory to chapter 1. They see that in uh, Genesis chapter 3, that Eve is actually far superior to Adam. That she was brave, she was strong, she was superior to Adam. Jezebel was brave, fearless, and a generous character who was misunderstood. So a lot of even negative women in Scripture, they then reinterpreted to show positive qualities about these particular women. Uh, There are a few other characters, like Priscilla in Romans chapter 6 is a fellow apostle with Paul. So she's no different than the apostles 
um, of Paul or Peter, including women in the upper echelons of church leadership. Uh, Phoebe was a pastor, not just a deacon. They really hated 1 Timothy chapter 2, 9 through 15. Um, so they started to interpret different scriptures of the Bible to emphasize that women were, were more than what the Bible is stating. The problem is, is that Jezebel was not misunderstood, was she? She is a sinful, wicked woman, even to a point where Revelation points out in one of the churches that they are allowing a Jezebel to be in their midst. And it's a negative, she's a negative character in scripture. There are definitely positive characters, women characters in the Bible, but they were emphasizing ones that were sinful. Because one of the issues that they were seeing was is that they were putting women below men because of Eve's sin in the garden. So therefore, that's what's creating this oppressive society and culture that men are are oppressive and women have no rights because Eve is shown in Scripture to be the one who then failed, ate of the fruits, and caused sin to come into the world. So they had this their own Bible. This happens in this period of the first wave feminism. Another institution that you're probably well aware of is Planned Parenthood was started during first wave feminism, Margaret Sanger, uh, and she was championing birth control. Um, and actually, she started the American Birth Control League in 1921, which then was renamed to be Planned Parenthood. Um, she had a magazine, or it was kind of a newsletter called The Women Rebel, because she was led, she saw and witnessed women who um, had abortions, basically, in, in alleyways, right? Self-inflicted, self-induced abortions, and saw that women were in some ways were, were, were in danger because they wanted children they didn't want to have. And so she championed birth control and eventually became a major proponent that eventually led to Roe v. Wade and abortion. And when you think about women's rights, especially when it comes to feminism, it's like in second wave and third wave feminism is uh, abortion rights. It's a major issue that they're trying to protect. Okay. But that started with Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood. And then what's led to, in 1919, the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which is the women's right to vote. So that all comes out of first-wave feminism, okay? And it's really, I mean, again, we, it's important to identify that the movement to give women the right to vote is a very good thing, right? It's a very, very good thing. And women are also did not have, um, there, there was, they didn't have equal rights in the workplace, okay? And so there were, there were very positive things that came out of the feminist movement, but there are definitely, once we get to second wave feminism, definitely you see some of the things that were started and hinted and some of the foundations of first wave feminism led to second wave feminism and onward. Any questions on first wave feminism that you'd like to ask? When did World Mission Society Church of God start up? I don't know what that is. So, our mother people? I don't know. Is, Maybe it was, I think it was late 80s, but, or late 1800s. But is this like temperate, move, temperance movement people? What's that? Is this temperance movement people? Is that what you're referring to? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but they believe that the Holy Spirit is... 
Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Which, what you said about the Genesis one twenty six. Oh yeah, the I'm women's Bible. Yeah, there is a an attempt to, and you get later into this where, in some ways, when you get to some of these later parts of feminism, they've rejected the Bible altogether. But there are some within second wave feminism in particular that still wanted to use the Bible to um, to identify um, where women are equal to men, which is we would agree with, right? But they kind of picked and choose, right, what they want. Uh, well, they reject it completely. They think it's uh, tyrannical edict. Um, that allow, won't allow women, because what, what we see in First Timothy is that there is, and we'll talk about this more, that there is a context by which men have certain roles in the home and the church, and the w- women have certain roles in the home and the church, right? These are two prominent contexts that we see different roles that God has designed and ordained, okay? What they're wanting to do is literally cancel those contexts out completely that there is no difference between men and women, that they are equal in essence and in role. And we'll talk about a little bit more where egalitarianism comes from and why even people who call themselves evangelical feminists actually basically start this view of egalitarianism, which means that men and women, have there's no difference even within role. And actually... When you see male headship in the home and in the church, it's a product of the fall, not by God's design. Okay? So when you get to second wave feminism, you really what you get is secular feminism, which again rejects the Bible completely. It views society as patriarchal with men exerting power over women and women being uh, subservient and treated as of second rate importance. Their goal was to set women free from the social bondage of male domination. Uh, society is oppressive, and women need liberation from a male oppressed society. If you're if you've read much about Black Lives Matter, okay, it really isn't that much different. It's using Marxist economic theory within social contracts or, or social theory, that what you see with, with, with the Soviet Union was the rich or the aristocrats and the working class, right? The rich oppress the working class. For the Black Lives Matter, it's the wealthy and mostly white that oppress the mostly poor and black, right? And the need for liberation from that oppression. When it comes to feminism, it's Male-dominated society, females are the kind of poor and oppressed, and they need liberation from their oppressor. That really is a major issue with second-wave feminism. Does that make sense? Any questions on any of that? Yes, sir. Yeah, hold on. Well, in their book, their book that you were talking about, about women in the Bible, uh-huh. about Deborah, who was a judge, right. her husband wouldn't go to battle unless she went. Yep. And she said that. Hold her up. Right. As, as model, as as <clears throat> I, I think they would. I think they would. Um, and um, she's a great example, though, of actually the biblical role of women, which is to be helpers. 
Rahab is a great example of a helper. Um, and see, they're actually positive. Ruth, I'm sorry, um, um, Esther. And these are positive qualities of, of biblical womanhood that they in some ways maybe ignored or it's not good enough because, again, they are, they're not seeing the equality of roles that they're, they're, they're basically, uh, they have an issue with when it comes to the Bible. Uh, there are a few individuals that were involved in this movement. Um, and uh, one of the big things that they were pushing was, again, gender was socially determined. It's not something that is by God's design. It's socially determined. So therefore, uh, if you're a woman and you say, well, I'm equal to a man in every way, and my role is to do whatever men do, and there's no difference, um, you're basically defining yourself and you're rejecting the authority of God. Uh, And so there was a very big push for a feminist revolution to liberate and, and, uh, and, and in some ways take over or remove the oppressive, um, you know, the oppressive um, instrument or the oppressive um, uh, structure, which was a male-dominated society. Um, they wanted to also break, in the 60s especially, wanted to break this a view that the happy half housewife, that the, the housewife is happy, she's ideal, this is her perfect situation, uh, this is this is what the woman is is meant to do is to to be at home to to cook the food to clean the house to sit waiting patiently for her husband to come back home. This kind of leave it to Beaver uh, womanhood. That's the ideal womanhood, and they saw that actually she they, an argument that that's actually a myth. There's no such thing as the happy house, but instead she's a slave to this structure, and she needs liberation. Father's knows, but uh, James, you had a question. I'm sorry. That's okay. I was just wondering, how did the church react to all these uh, moments in the beginning? Um, I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, I, you do see though that there's a growing uh, movement that's even. I would say it's probably happening within the second wave that is embracing these 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 viewpoints and thoughts. So much for that. Now we're to a point where many of these denominations have embraced women being pastors in the church, right? That didn't just come out of nothing. It came out of second wave feminism that eventually invaded the church. Okay. Yes, sir. In World War II, remember all the men went to war and the women stepped in and did the man's job during the war. They did. So that was a kind of a push forward for women in World War II. Right. And really, uh, this ended in 1920, first wave, and second wave didn't start to the 60s. There was really 40 years of like World War II happened, Great Depression happened. There wasn't time for a women's movement, right? There was the Great Depression, there was war, and they had to just, and then when you got to the 60s, when you had kind of prosperity and peace, you, you see a, a kind of um, a build back up of these movements that have happened. Um, so you have uh, things called the National Organization of Women, or NOW. Um, you have the NOW Bill of Rights that uh, in 1967, that's when the argument for the ERA or the Equal Rights Act, law banning sex discrimination and employment. Uh, these, some of these things are good, okay? 
Uh, that's, you know, we don't want laws, we don't want uh, jobs being like, well, we're not going to hire you because, like, you're a woman. Like, that's not a good thing. Um, we think about maternity leave rights, tax deductions for home and child care expenses for working parents. These are good things, right? Uh, child daycare centers, uh, equal and unsegregated education, equal job training opportunity and allowances for women in poverty, and guarantee of women's right to their reproductive lives. So this is where you then get into kind of Roe v. Wade. Was really the major issue was that, you know, women in some ways were viewed as we're cursed with having to give birth. Which, and by that, so we don't get, um, you know, I'm going to pursue motherhood, so I, therefore my job's going to hold it against me and not give me advancement or promotion because I want to be a mother. Or when it comes to, well, um, I'm not married and I don't actually want this child. And if I have this child, then I'm going to lose my job. Or I'm not going to be able to go to school. And so what rights do I have over what is going on in my body? I should have the right to remove it or eliminate it if I want to. And that was really the kind of the fight. Women's rights. Liberation from you know, uh, this oppressive, male-dominated expectations on me. And so if you think about it, would you agree that society for women has changed remarkably since the 1950s? This This is the reason why it is second wave feminism. Can I give you an illustration? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I was in charge of one of the largest labs of sitting in hospital for a long time. Not for a long time, but when I decided to quit work, I went in and told the administrator, I said, you need to get a man for this job, somebody who can come in here nights and weekends to check on things. And he looked at me and he said, I'd have to pay a man twice as much. <laughs> there you go. Yes. So when you hear that out loud, you're, you're thankful you're thankful for this, but at the same time, they took this and said, yeah, yeah, this is an obstacle for that, when really it's not. It's actually not. Um, there's probably more that we can talk about. I kind of think I've provided enough obs- uh, kind of a general understanding of, of feminism. Uh, Equal Pay Act was 1964, Roe v. Wade, 1973. In the 1960s, 35% of women worked outside the home. In 2012, 58% of women worked outside the home. If you look at uh, college degrees and, and um, even PhDs, the amount of women that have college educations and PhDs are remarkably higher now than they were in the 1950s. Okay? Yes, sir. If you look at the ERA amendment, though, there was very little in there about women's rights. It was about uh, uh, taking over the government and controlling all of the unions to where they had to more or less bow down to the government. And this would have been added, you know, like the 22nd, 23rd Amendment at the time. Uh-huh. And it would have been the law of the land. Yeah. The, it wouldn't have been like Roe v. Wade, which was a judge, that, the six judges that right. created that. right. Right. Uh, we do have, I think it's the 14th Amendment, right, that you know, all genders and all races have equal rights in the United States. That was passed after the Civil War. Um, but so 
society has remarkably changed, right? Women have far more rights, have far more opportunities than they did uh, in the 1950s and before. Um, and But one of the problems with feminism and just the movement itself is a rejection of God's design, okay? And in some ways, uh, a hatred of of a view that the, that the world or society is run by men only. Um, and it could, and it could, can lead to kind of male, like hating males or hating men, right? As, as they're the reason for my suffering and my pain. Um, so let's look at Genesis chapter one through three. And we've, I know we talked about this last week, but you kind of have to go to creation to kind of at least create a, a basis or a foundation of what is biblical um, femininity. So Genesis 1, 26 through 27. And if I can get somebody to read that for me, that would be great. And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Thank you. Um, So we see here that God creates man and woman in his image. So they are both given the image of God. Um, so men and women reflect the image of God, not just men, not just women. Men do 80%, women do 20% or vice versa, but that men and women equally uh, express the image of God. They're created in the image of God. God creates them. God gives them value. God gives them worth. Uh, we see in chapter 2 that, in verse, that we see that man was created first from the ground, from the dust. He, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work and keep it. And then in verse 18, it says, it's not good that man should be alone, but I will make him a helper fit for him. We see that the woman was created from the rib of the man, and they are united. They are one flesh in marriage. Uh, They are to have dominion over the earth. They are to be fruitful, and they are to multiply. Uh, Adam could not be fruitful and multiply without Eve. So even when it comes to a helper fit for him, it really that, that, that being fruitful and multiplied is a very important part of that, but also to have dominion over the earth. They're both as image bearers of God to have dominion over the earth and to be fruitful and to multiply. They are to express, as I said before, the image of God into the world and then have dominion and be fruitfulified, fruitful, with, fruitful together. Um, Adam is to work the ground and Eve was created to help Adam, help the man. Um, they need each other. Okay. This is an important, they need each other. They're equal. They're image bearers of God and they need each other. It wasn't good that Adam was alone. So God made a helper fit for him and she is his helper and he needs her. And she needs him. That's an important uh, distinction we have to remember and, and, and think about. Um, and so she's the helper. This is her role. 
um, and God blesses the man. He blesses her, um, and they have this, this commission by the Lord to have dominion and to be fruitful and to multiply. They are equal, but they have distinct gifts. They have distinct roles within creation. She has wisdom and strength and perspective and insight and creativity to help him in his endeavor. Um, Matthew Henry, I think this is on your notes. He says, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him, upon, upon, upon or by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under her arm, his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. So when we get to Genesis chapter 3, what happens? She eats of the fruit. She um, is deceived by the serpent. She accepts the offer. And even though she was supposed to follow and help her husband, she actually leads him into temptation. Instead of Adam protecting her and helping him defeat the serpent, she is led into temptation and then leads him into temptation. And so as a result of this sin, they are both cursed, but also their roles are cursed. Okay. His role as the worker and keeper is cursed because the ground is cursed. Right. But also she is cursed, right, because she, giving ch- children is painful. So childbearing is painful. And also, the relationship between her and the man is cursed as well. And so she was created with a relational dep- disposition, while he was created with a work disposition. And both of those dispositions are cursed. And so it's more difficult to work out their strength and roles in the context of marriage. Um, one of the significant things that we see about Eve and the woman is that she is named Eve because she's the mother of all living. So again, there's an important understanding about what, what, what makes a woman is one who is a giver of life. This is very significant when it comes to what, who women are and what God has created them to do, which is to be one who gives life. Adam cannot give life, only the woman can, right? This is significant when we understand God's design for women and how that affects what women are and what their strengths are, right? Women are naturally more nurturers, they're more caring, they're more, and it just goes back into this Genesis 2 uh, role of being the one who gives life, so, and the, so there's a relational disposition that women have that this is their strength. Uh, you see Titus chapter 2, verse 3, Paul exhorts women to train other women in godliness. And you see this when you, like, when you look at other passages of Scripture, like Luke 8, 3. You see the women that follow Jesus. What do they do? They helped Jesus. They cared for him. They, they, they fixed his meals and served him. So you see this nurturing disposition that women have. And so, again, this is by God's design. Uh, look at Proverbs 31, right? If we're going to talk about women, we have to talk about Proverbs 31. Um, 10 through 31. Um, 
Can I get somebody to read uh, 10 through 18? And then can somebody read 19 through 31? Proverbs 31, can somebody read 10 through 18 and then 19 through 31? (coughs) An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Can somebody read 19 through 31? Is that, is that a, a volunteer? No, because I don't have my glasses and I can't read. Oh. <laughs> uh, 1931, you like looked right at me. I'm just 19 through 31. She puts her hands to the staff with the flex. Her fingers hold the spinning rod. She reaches out to embrace the poor and opens her arms to the needy. It snows. She has no fear for her household. She makes her own quilts. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the city gates when he sits with the women of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies the merchants with sashes. Clothed with strength and dignity, she can laugh at the days to come. When she opens her mouth, she speaks wisely. On her tongue is loving instruction. She watches how things go in her house, not eating the bread of idleness. Her children arise. They make her happy. Her husband, too, as he praises her. Many women have done wonderful things, but you surpass them all. Charm can lie. Beauty can vanish. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Give her a share in what she produces. Let her speak, or let her works speak her praises at the city gates. Okay, thank you. So we see these these feminine virtues expressed so eloquently in this passage. Again, this is not this is not a narrative. This is poetry. Um, it's not describing a particular woman in the world. It's presenting an the ideal woman. Okay. So so often we use this passage and women are like, oh my goodness, I am very, I'm very few of these things. I'm so discouraged. I'm such a failure as a woman. Okay, there, <laughs> this is a description of the ideal, the ideal woman. And by definition, all women are sinners. And if they presented some scripture and Proverbs that presented the ideal male, we would also fail at that because we're there are yes, there's we're sinners. Well, this is also a woman at different stages of her life. Um, so certain parts of it will say this is who I, this is who she is now. The next part will be this is who she is tomorrow or in a year or whenever the kids are gone, whenever the kids are grown. 
so it's it's multiple stages of life. It's not something that create a checklist on today. Uh, it's something to work towards. Sure. Uh, you see, in, in a lot of ways, I think this is men and women could read this and be encouraged or challenged with what godliness is. I mean, even look at passage, uh, let's see, verse 30, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A man who fears the Lord is to be praised, right? Uh, what do you, what are some things that you learn about um, the model of, the, the, this, this model of, of womanhood? What, what do you learn? Yes. I've always been kind of surprised that the um, woman buys a field and then mm-hmm. she, you know, makes money off of it. She it does. It always seemed to me like that was what the men did back in the day, back in those days. Yeah, I mean, you have a woman who, who works hard for her family, for her community. Um, and um, so, yeah, it's interesting, right? You don't get this, this concept of the woman who just kind of stays at home, right? She's... She's busy doing things, right? Well, Outside the home. Where I grew up, um, like when the men went out and worked and the women tended the fields, you know. So like if you have a, a plot of land and you were born in a family garden, the women would work that one and they were gone. Sure. So. Sure. They were delegated by their husbands to do certain different things. So they might have had more knowledge of math than the husband is, so she's out there doing the uh, the buying and the selling. Uh huh. She helps the poor too, right? See that she opens her hand to the poor, reaches her hand out to the needy. Again, you get back to this nourishing. She nourishes. She cares for. Sorry, Josh. You're saying something. There's a strength about her, isn't it? There's a, if we want to use the term, there's a empowerment that she has, okay? Uh, there's a strength about her, but she is selfless and wise. Um, you see her as a blessing to her husband and to her family and to her community. Um, she is one who fears the Lord. Um, and again, I think that there's, there's con- as, as, as you were saying, like she, she's a woman who buys land and she's a seller of, it says here that she sells her, her linen. She delivers sashes to the merchants. So it should be, in some ways, this passage should be right freeing. To the woman, right? There's a certain freedom that she has. She doesn't seem like one who's in chains. There, no one you read the scriptures like, wow, is she oppressed by her husband? You don't read that. You just don't see it in this passage. It says he has full confidence in her. Exactly. He trusted her with much. Correct. There's a trust factor. My husband did that while he was in medical school. He looked at me and he says, take care of it. Yeah, there's a... He was busy. Right. He was studying. He was working every other night. Right. There's a, there's a trust. Yeah. yeah, very good. He praises her. He praises her. He, he encourages her. Yeah, there's a there's a cooperation, there's a praising of, there's an encouragement of one another. She's one who speaks with wisdom, teaches in kindness. Her words and her speech are words of wisdom. 
in words of kindness, ones of knowledge. Um, and so I, you see this passage, and while well, again, I, I don't think you should come away with this and going, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm such a, I'm just, I'm so not this. Um, but in some ways you see, okay, these are the attributes of, of a woman who, who, who has a loving relationship with her husband. She fears the Lord. She is given responsibility. She has strength. Um, she has, she uh, uses her gifts to help others. These are all really good things. Um, so let's kind of continue here in, in talking about, I want to just provide a summary of what biblical womanhood, womanhood is. I just want to talk about it, okay? Um, biblical femininity is displayed in a gracious disp- disposition to cultivate life, to help others flourish, and to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in particular contexts prescribed by God's word. So let's look at different portions of this uh, definition here. And, um, and again, let me just kind of start with the obvious again, just to kind of remind us of some factors that we need to constantly be aware of. Uh, men and women are equally created in the image of God. Okay. If you don't believe that, that is not a biblical understanding of manhood or womanhood. Okay. Um, they are both co-heirs of the inheritance that is in Christ. If you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, man or woman, you are equally saved by Christ. Okay. But there is a distinction between a man and a woman. There are, we are different. <laughs> okay. If you, it's so interesting. It's so obvious that that's true. It's funny that we actually have to say that out loud. Okay. <laughs> but that is kind of, this is one of the products of second wave feminism is that there is no distinction. Distinction is bad. Distinction is evil. That's the problem. Um, and again, like we talked about last week, the word help, ah, uh, that, uh, that doesn't sit well. I'm not just a helper. I'm unsatisfied with that design by God. And uh, as we'll talk about, God is called a helper. So, and God came into the world to help us through Jesus, right? Thank God that Jesus came to help, right? Um, and so remember, that's who you, as a woman, that's who you were, are reflecting. You're reflecting that that narrative, the gospel story of help. You came to help sinners. You reflect that when you are helpers. Um, it doesn't matter what time period. This could be. Remember, this the Bible was written in the you know the ancient Israel, but also first century A.D. in the Roman world. You could go to the 19th century, 1950s, 1990s. 2023, these are universal. God's design for man and woman is universal, okay? It wasn't like, well, that works for like the ancient Israel or for the first century, but that doesn't work anymore. We're all progressive and we're, we're educated now. So we know better. That's, a, that's arrogance. That's just, that's just arrogance. Um, and that's a rejection of God's word, which is timeless in its truth. It's timeless. 
women, there's, God has provided and designed that women will have a gracious disposition. Um, this disposition, this inclination um, is to express graciousness. This is God's design. You're, you are fountains of grace to others. You shower blessings uh, to the world, to the community, to your family, to your church. Um, and you see this. I mean, most of the times, the, the most encouraging things that I receive are from women. The most encouraging words that I receive are mostly from women. Because that's what God's created you to be, is a giver of grace. Um, so first, you cultivate life. You cultivate life. So Eve was related to, God, Adam called his wife Eve, which means life. What? No, it's life. She's the giver of life. Life. She's the one who gives life. Eve gives life. Um, Adam was formed from the ground, but the woman is the, maker, the mother of all the living. So there's a relational disposition that women are given. Um, this is a universal feminine trait. In various contexts and stages of life, my daughter at 10 is far more gracious than my, my boys are. And she's far more loving than my boys are. Um, there, so you can even take a, a, a young girl and you see this disposition. You see the relational nature of young girls, Right? That this, so this is not something that just happens in when you become an adult. This is something you see amongst young girls as well. Uh, am I, you women in the room? Am I? Am I? Can you amen that? Or, um, and again, that what, what's going on in in the society is uh, we don't want to be pigeonholed. We don't think you know. We don't want to just be grace givers. We also want to be the leaders, right? We want this working disposition. And we want this kind of relational disposition. And there's just an unhappiness with what God's designed women to be. Okay? Isn't that what Satan did in the garden? Where she attacked, you know, he attacked their identity. Well, not so much that, but he was attacking the family. I mean, that's what like, yeah. all these things are. It's like, instead of having me be <coughs> Satan was attacking women and men, putting them apart. It's just kind of like continued but grown like so far out where it's like if I was a woman I, I mean I would think I would like a dude to open the door for me or stuff you know like that's or pump my gas whatever just the same way I like you know my wife telling me hey you look good today or whatever right you know to kind of rid everything of that it's like yeah, there's no basis for doing anything yeah yeah you're unhappy with with God's design that he has given you right you you're created by the creator. You're given this, this, this purpose and identity. And then Satan attacks that identity. And then actually the curse is to that identity, right? So what we see with uh, rejection of, of, of the roles of men and women is a rejection of God's design, right? God is actually a, is the author of this patriarchal society, hence the rejection of the Bible, right? It's creating this oppressive structure and we're going to reject that authority and we look for liberation. Um, and so that's kind of, but as we've talked about, even when we talked about politics, when we talked about institutions and what is an institution, it's, 
it's a delegated authority from God. Okay. Government is a delegated authority. Okay. The husband is a delegated authority in the home. Pastors are a delegated authority in the church. And there is an unhappiness and a rejection of the delegated authority that God has delegated. They've rejected that authority. Therefore, they're rejecting this authority. Okay. It all goes back to that. It all goes back to a rejection of God, a rejection of God's role in distinct um, creation, and then for reestablishing or reinterpreting it based off your own desires. On the 16th of this month, Dan and I will celebrate our 27th wedding anniversary. Fantastic. And when, uh, when we were dating and everything, I had found a book, uh, you probably will add it to the list. The name of it is What? Me Obey Him? But it, the, the, the title kind of misleads you because it's not just about the woman uh, bowing down to the man. It's a, it's a combination of all the things that have to go into a marriage. Uh-huh. But uh, I do remember uh, Stan Hayes emeritus here at the church and uh, I kind of got him to say the, the saying do you love Dewey will you love Dewey uh, and obey love honor and obey and, and that's not in the, the quotes anymore that you obey but uh, we've had a good marriage Good. and uh, she is a Proverbs 31 woman right down to Hobby Lobby yeah <laughs> And again, I want to preface this, though, like, again, we, we got to be careful, though, because we are not equal to God. OK, God has authority over us. We are not equal to him. But men and women are equal. OK, this isn't a God creation or God creature understanding here. This isn't a master slave. These are equal partners right? That God has delegated authority to the man, but the woman is a helper and the man is to lay his life down for her. God, this sets right. This is an important, we have to remember this. The woman is not a slave. Because going back to this, there was a time where that was actually happening. It's still happening in a lot of places in the world. Yeah, Middle East primarily. But that's not a positive biblical thing. Okay? Again, the man is not to trample. He is not a dictator. He is a equal in essence to the man, but yet God has given them different roles. I want to make sure I preface that, okay? Um, but the thing is with the woman being under authority, right. then you have freedom. You do. It's, As you see with it's a Proverbs 31 passage. It's totally a freedom. I mean, it's like if something goes wrong, he's the one responsible. Right. Yes. That's wrong. Yeah. You know, and so I, I think the sad thing is women don't realize how much freedom we have in this. Yes. And that's a huge mistake because they feel like they've been trained and taught that they're supposed to be independent. Well, you can be independent. As this one was in Proverbs 31. Right. And still have freedom. Right, right. I think that's really well said. 
Very well said. Yes, sir. I would, I would add to that that the reason that that's the case is because we've been trained to believe that authority and the exercise of power is where people get their value from. Mm. So in order for someone to have, for a woman to have value, well, she needs to have, exercise as much power and authority as a man. Correct. And that's not, the two have nothing to do with each other. Yeah, yeah. Jesus is like, um, part of the curse says that, didn't, what that means where after childbirth, it's like a, no, women will chase chase against the authority of their husband. Right, right. That is the curse. Your desire will be for him, but it's your desire is to conquer him. You will you will reject his authority. You will no longer be a helper to him. You will be a rival. Yes, sir. There's an old saying too. Uh, that a man will say, I'm the head of my house, but my wife's the neck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me, so gracious disposition to cultivate life. And you get this with, uh, you know, childbearing and there's that relational disposition to, to fill creation with life. So women are life givers. But even when when women think about like their home, they want to what provide life into the home, right? And you see, like in so many other ways, why women are just givers of life. Um, and um, and you even see this in their work. A lot of women work in health; they work in education. You see them cultivating life, not just with children, but even in their work decisions as well, cultivating life. Um, we um, even if we see this in First Timothy five ten, talking about um, women who have shown hospitality, have washed the feet of the saints, cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. See, so you, you see this cultivating of life that um, that women do. And the next one here that I've provided is they've helped others flourish. They help others flourish. Again, we see this back in Genesis 2.18. They're helper fit for him. He's a hel- women are helpers and sustainers of people. Uh, Psalm 75, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer, O Lord. Do not delay. So women's being uh, defined as helper is associated with God as a helper to Israel in Psalm 70 verse 5. The um, so women display the character of helping. God is a helper. Women just reflect or display that characteristic of God as helpers. Um, and we see again, like I said, that God's greatest, greatest gift of help is Jesus. So women, when you are, when you are dedicated to help your family, your friends, your church, your neighbor, you're reflecting God's character of one who gives help to his people. Any questions or any comments on that? So help, being a helper is a godly thing, is a very positive thing. We see in Scripture, we see several characters in the Bible who were helpers. Rahab helped the spies. We see Esther who helped the people of Israel. 
we see the women of Luke 8, 3 provide for Jesus' physical and financial needs. We see that Phoebe was a helper and a servant in the church. So we see all these descriptions in Scripture of women who were helpers. Who were helpers. Who help others flourish. Lastly, we see that women also affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in particular contexts prescribed by God's word. Uh, Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of that wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Submission is placing oneself under another's authority. And that goes back to what was talked about earlier, trusting. Trusting in the Lord's design. Trusting in the Lord's wisdom to calling women to submit to their husbands, right? This is by God's wisdom and design and trusting the Lord in that, trusting in his delegation. And we see that this this submission reflects the church's relationship to Christ. And so when you do that, when you submit, you're not submitting because he's smarter, wiser, uh, better than you, you're submitting because God has commanded you to by his design. And you're trusting the Lord. And by trusting him, you're actually displaying and illustrating the church's submission to Christ. So what you're submitting, what you're illustrating is what you see in the, with the gospel itself. Now, that doesn't mean that, yes, husbands are fallen. Husbands are, are sinners. There are some husbands that are not even Christians. And the Bible so calls you to submit to him. Now, that's why we say worthy men, because if there's men that are, that are abusive, then you need to get out of that situation. Um, no, I don't, I don't care if he's your husband or not. He has no right to hit you or abuse you in any way. That's, that's just a fact. And so, um, the husband should, should love you and sacrifice for you and put your needs above, above you. He should not, nor ever abuse or attack his wife. But we think about, you know, the, your, your husband who, you know, he's a good man, works hard, you know, he's not perfect, but uh, the Bible command, it calls you to submit to his leadership. Um, any questions on any of that? Um, we, um, it's not, the word is not commanding you to submit to every man, Okay. Uh, Kathy, you have no business submitting to Bill here. That you're not called to do that. 
okay? There's, there's no calling for that. The Bible presents the context by which women are to submit. The, the, the main one is marriage, okay? Um, now, in the church, men and women in the church submit to pastors, right? This is the institution, and God has delegated authority in that institution, okay? Uh, let's see. Are there any, any questions? Are there any questions on any of this? When we think about also as wives, as you submit to your husbands, um, as, as I've already, we've already talked about, be a cultivator of life. Be someone with a gracious disposition. Be someone who flourish, uh, that works to flourish, the, work for the flourishing of others or help others flourish. That's a great thing. As a wife, you're given the, response, the, the role to encourage your husband in his leadership, right? Encouraging him, loving him, rebuking him. Because again, you're a helper, right? You don't just let him make mistakes and not say anything, right? If he, I, my wife has done this plenty of times. I'll give you an example. I'm revealing myself, okay? Uh, they, the after fall fest, I brought three of the kids without Lisa. And that thing is a madhouse. And I just want to get out of there. There's just so many kids. There's so many people. I have a three-year-old. I'm afraid I'm going to lose in this mass crowd of people. And um, so we get home, and I'm like, I'm a big, like, I don't want any candy upstairs, upstairs. I don't want wrappers all over the floor. And it really gets me frustrated, right, when I see a bunch of candy up, upstairs, when I've already said no candy upstairs, okay? So we get upstairs, and I see candy wrappers all over the bathroom floor. And what is my, my obviously, my reaction is as a loving godly father is to is to correct them in a gracious and loving way yeah that's not what i did the opposite of that is what i did my wife heard me from downstairs came up upstairs and rebuked me on the spot on the spot and you know what she was right she was right she says, do you want your kids to think of you as someone who yells and gets frustrated? She was right. You know what my wife was doing? She was being a helper to me. A helper. They were her rappers. That's right. <laughs> That's what I thought, too. But I, you know. Huh? I picked them up. I mean, were they kids rappers? They were. Oh yeah, it was little three-year-old Teddy, right? Yeah. Um, but there you go. I mean, it's not like I'm this like, well, you know, how dare you talk to the leader? You know, no. We are, we are, God has given us this family and this home to raise up in the ways of the Lord, right? And we are to show love and graciousness and not provoke our children to anger, is what Paul says. And my wife was helping me to stop doing that. That's, that's what a wife, that is a cultivating and helping someone else flourish. Which, and so I just want to encourage you women in that. And not fall in the trap of the second and third wave feminists who say, 
no, 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 no. I reject that design. I reject that completely. I am the leader of the household, and I rival for that throne. And that is, that's the attack of Satan right there. Hence, all the conflicts within the home is a rejection of God's design of manhood and womanhood. Any questions? Anything that you'd like to ask? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is like, but the thing is, it's elementary stuff. But you have to accept the, the, the premise that the Bible is true and it is the authority over your life. If you reject that, then you're going to have to then start making up your own definitions. And when you go that direction, it leads to destruction. It always does. It always does. So, women, amen in all this? Amen. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we can talk. We can talk. Any, any, yes, thank you. Women, and to all of us women here, especially married women, we tend to set the tone in our households. And I'm sure men would agree with that, that that tone is set by the woman in the household. So you were talking earlier about that gentle and quiet spirit. That's something that we talk about in women's ministry all the time. Yeah. And that's, yeah. How important that is when you're, when you're in a relationship with your spouse, yeah. with your kids. Um, that tone in the household, because of the way men and women are constructed yep. differently, Men don't typically like to be in opposition with their wives. Right. You know, that's just not where men typically want to be. Um, women can sometimes be very um, oppositional. Not all, <coughs> but, you know, sometimes with that, that's sure. that power. Sure. Know, Genesis. Yeah. Um, fall curse there. But um, it's just important to, to really understand that we set the tone. Yeah. Oftentimes in our household. And to your other point about the, you know, we talk about this women's ministry all the time too. Abuse of horses, you know, as far as submission, is always an issue. Yeah. You know, um, we have uh, ways to help women in trouble with that. Yep. I'd say too, you know, your your submission to your husband or in a relationship is causing you to sin against God. You know, that's a problem. Right. We see that in Acts, right? We're like, well, you know, there's, you have this governmental institution. We can't go against God. So you have an example there where you have the government and the, the apostles are like, yeah, yeah, you said one thing, but, and I know God has delegated authority to you, but you're rivaling God and we have to be faithful to the Lord above you. Same with this. If a husband's like, you cannot go to church, that is a going against God. And therefore you are abusing your authority and you're rivaling God. And a woman in that situation has to be faithful to God, right? It's so important. Oh, that becomes so important. Right. That is just so vital. It is. It is. Any other questions? I have to let you go because we're running out of time. I'll pray for us. If you have any thoughts, you can stick around. Thank you for listening to Lesson 10 in the Church of Politics class on biblical femininity. If you're interested in more information about Central Church, you can check us out at centralchurch.com and learn more about our ministries in our classes, and we hope to see you back.